you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you're new around here, I want to introduce you. My name is Ben. I'm pastor here this morning. Um, Glad that you can be with us. Um, We are a church full of crazy folks, so you'll fit right in. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to grab your phone or there should be a Bible around you somewhere, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. 12 through 16, we're finishing up our series all in this morning. Philippians chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. It should be on the screen behind me as well. Hear the reading of God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Amen. I want to tag our text this morning, all in to grow, all in to grow. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, we are so grateful for your work in our life. God, where would we be without you? You are so kind, so patient, so gracious, so powerful, so wonderful, so good. So God, as we look at your work and and your call in our life to the work that you have for us, We pray that your spirit would show up, that you would work in our hearts to change our minds and our desires, our will. God, move in a way that we would know without a doubt you were with us today. We pray for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. No one expected it, but on July... 22nd, 2014, there was 22 people who boarded a roller coaster at Six Flags in Los Angeles, and 22 people boarded this roller coaster thinking they were going to have the, the time of their life. They were expecting a wild ride. It was, I mean, the roller coaster was called the Ninja, right? I mean, this, this had a reputation for being, you know, a, a ride that was over and above an adventure and excitement, but what they experience was not actually what they thought they were going to experience. About halfway through the ride, these 22 people who are sitting in their little roller coaster cars, uh, the first car in the line hits a branch that was overhanging on the trail, on the track, I mean, and, and it hits this branch and it dislodges the front car and the whole thing kind of stops and hangs while the roller coaster was at the peak of its drop. So you can imagine these 22 people look like your face looks right now. They're panicking. They're wondering, are we going to be okay? Their harness is locked so they can't get out, which is good, but they also can't get out. So they're wondering, are we going to be able to get out? Is this thing going to fall? You know, all these things are rushing through their mind, and it takes them a while to get help. I mean, they're at the peak of this place, so they had to call the fire department. They bring out this you know, massive construction to try to get up to where they are, and they finally get help, and it took them three hours to get all 22 people safely out. No one was hurt. 
Everybody made it out safe. But three hours of hanging there, wondering, am I ever going to move? Is, is it ever, ever going to change? Am I going to be okay? Right? No one expects, no, no one enjoys that feeling of being stuck. That feeling of being trapped. Right? Maybe you've felt that experience in your life. And some of us, we, we feel stuck, hopefully not at the peak of a roller coaster. Right? But, but you've had that feeling in your life where you feel trapped, you feel stuck. And maybe it's been in a, in a relationship, and in a marriage or a dating relationship where you feel like you've been at the place you've been at for so long. You don't know if it's ever going to be different. You know, things in your marriage, you thought a few years in, you would change over time. And now it's been five years, it's been ten years, it's been twenty years. And nothing seems to be different. Those same things keep happening. Or maybe you feel stuck in, in your job, in your workplace, and you're like, man, I've been, I've been working at this place for so long, and, and nothing seems to get better. I never get a promotion. I never feel like I'm enjoying myself. And every time I'm looking for something to get better, it, it seems to get worse, and, and I just feel stuck. It feels like I'm not moving anywhere, and is it ever going to change? I mean, there's so many things in life right, like that, right? I mean, there's so many situations where, where you can feel stuck and trapped and What I want to ask you this morning is, what happens when you have that feeling with God? What happens when you feel stuck and you you, you haven't seen any movement? You haven't seen any change? You you feel like the people who, who you were on track, you were having fun, you were doing good, and the next thing you know, the, the cart gets off the track and now you're hanging off like it's a cliff and you're wondering, is it ever going to get better? Prayer seems lifeless. The Bible seems dead. Church seems pointless. Serving feels empty. You're like, I, I just feel like this is, this is the way it's been for so long. I don't know if it can get different. You felt that way for maybe weeks, months, years, maybe decades. You feel stuck. I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to move you forward. That you, you might feel that way, and that might be the reality of, of the last few months or years in your life. But, but I want to tell you that, that God wants to move you out of that. Amen. He wants to see you change. He wants to see victory in your life. He wants to see transformation in your life. And so as we start, uh, or as we con- conclude this series this morning called All In, that, that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's, it's this moving forward in our relationship with God. So if you've been here for the the series, we've been talking about the idea of being all in in 2020. And what that means is this year as a church, we want to focus in on deepening our discipleship. We want to focus in on on the reality that many of us, uh, maybe you've been following Christ for a few months or you've been following Christ for your whole life. But many of us haven't really gone all in with Jesus. There's areas in your life that you, you need to give over to God. And, and this year, that's what we're praying for, that we would deepen our discipleship, that all of us would see all of our life as under the lordship of Jesus. That, that's what that means. And so we've talked about certain areas just the last few weeks. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about uh, ministry and serving and where God wants you to be. We, we talked about generosity and, and how God owns all of who we are and everything we have and Now I want to talk about spiritual growth. I want to talk about this area of our life that that really encompasses the whole. What what does it mean to be all in? 
with spiritual growth. Because I believe this year could be the year that God moves in your life to transform your relationship with Him. And so if you're taking notes this morning, first I want to look at, at our work. Our work. If you're taking notes, the first point is our work. Look at verse 12 in, in Philippians chapter 2. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you got to kind of understand the, the context of Philippians to understand what Paul is referencing. So Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who traveled around, and his ministry was to, to reach people who were far from God and to start churches. Right? He was an apostolic minister. And, and so Paul went to the city of Philippi and he, he led people to Jesus and he started a church in Philippi. And so he's writing to this church of people who are very dear to him. People that are very close to him. They, they lived together for years and ministered together. And, and Paul led many of them to Christ. And you know when Paul left Philippi, he, he, he wept over them. And he, there was so much relationship there, right? Now Paul is writing... From prison. He's across the world. He's been arrested for the gospel. Paul's writing from prison to his dear friends. And he says this. He, he's kind of you know, looking back on the glory days. He's like, we were together and, and you were so you know, obedient to God and you were growing in God. And now I, I want to see that same growth, that same movement towards God, even when I'm not there. Right? So what, what he's saying is, it, it's this idea of character, right? Somebody once said character is, is what you do when no one's there. How you act when no one's present. And so Paul is saying, you know, back in the day, I was there and I could see you and I watched God work in your life. And, and my presence kind of reminded you of, of what God needed and what God was requiring and how God would work in you. But now I'm not there. And I still want God to work in your life. And Paul uses this fascinating phrase to describe the growth that he's looking for. Look at what he says. He says, work out your own salvation. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What what does he mean? First, it means that we've already received salvation. Right? He's speaking to people who had already received the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's he's talking about a salvation that's a free gift of God. Right? Don't mix them up here. He, he's talking to people who, who received the gift of God, that God saw us in our sin. He saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our despair. And what did he do? It said, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? Jesus comes to this broken world, this dark world, for people like you and me who needed him. People who were ashamed of our, our, our sin, ashamed of our, our guilt. And Jesus comes to shine in the darkness, to live a perfect life for us, to die for us, to, to forgive our sin, to be risen from the grave, to, to ascend to heaven, to send his Holy Spirit that he might change us. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God sends Jesus to do what you couldn't do to save you. That's a gift. It's what he does for us. Now watch. But it's not what he requires from us. Look at what he says next. Don't confuse what he's saying. Paul's not saying work for your salvation because you can't do that. But work from your salvation. 
Right? Salvation is the free gift of God. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Right? All the solas. But getting saved isn't the end of the Christian life. There's work to be done. To put it in the language of James, another apostle, he says, faith by itself without works is what? Dead. The working out of your salvation is the evidence of your salvation. In other words, salvation is is something we receive, but it's also something we do. You catch that? Salvation is something we receive, but then once we receive it, it's something we do. Uh, One of my favorite foods, and this is not a surprise if you know me, is pizza, right? I mean, I know it's not original, but, but I could probably eat pizza five or six days out of the week. Like, I, I, I just love especially good pizza, right? You know, the, the New York-style pizza where you go in the place, and, and there's some guy in the back who's, who's throwing a pizza around, and, you know, he's spinning that thing. I don't know how they do that and not break the dough. And, you know, you walk in, and it just feels fresh, and it's, it's alive, and the pizza's so, you know, flavorful. It's good, Right? Well, they don't do that just to impress me and to get me in the mood for pizza, right? They do that because it's called kneading the dough. It's, it's an idea where, where you spread the yeast in the dough. And I don't know, you know much about the chemistry of it, but the yeast is what makes the dough rise, right? And so if you, get the, you have to get the yeast in the whole batch of the dough. And so what they do is they roll it and they, they push it out and, and they form it into the pizza. But they're, they're pushing it. They're kneading it. They're, they're working it into all the corners and every little crevice of the dough so that it, it affects all of it. And here in Philippians 2, Paul uses a word that has the same imagery of kneading the dough. In other words, what what happens when you knead the dough is you don't put more yeast in. The yeast is already in it. You just work out what's already in it. He's saying what, what God has put in you, now you work it out. You work it out into every area of life. And listen, every area means every area. Not like the easy areas, or the churchy areas, or the areas on Sunday, right? Every area of life, work it out. That means we have to work out the gospel, work out the salvation that God has put in us, even into our bitterness and our anger. Even with the folks that we we got conflict with, and and we've been holding on to that grudge for years, and and we we just kind of hold on to it as something we we just nourish and we we, we love. Because it gives us a sense of superiority, and God is saying, no, 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 work it out into that area. Work it out even into your politics. where, Where we listen to... CNN or Fox News or whatever the channel of choice is for you. And and we don't listen to the Bible. The voices in our life are people who don't believe what we believe. Work it out. Work it out. Work it out into your finances. Work it out into, into your workplace. Work it out with that, that coworker that you've been struggling with and, and the boss that's giving you jobs that you don't want to do and you, you're just angry and frustrated all the time and wondering what God is doing. Work it out there. Work it out into every area. 
That's what he's saying. Need the dough. Need, need the grace out into your life. See, there's a tendency in churches like ours, and, and I'll say that this is a good thing, that we preach grace. Amen. We, we preach grace and grace alone. It's God's grace that showers us, and, and we love the grace of God. But there's a tendency in churches like ours that preach grace to abuse grace. Or I would say even misunderstand grace. Right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously called it cheap grace. He said it this way in, in his own words. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal following. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. In other words, the gospel, the the grace of God declares that God saves us to change us. Right? We come as we are, as we just sang, but we don't leave as we were. We, we change, we transform that God is working in us to make us whole, to make us new, to make us alive. He's, he's working in us to make us into the image of His Son. Not to leave us as He saw us. We become new. We become transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's the purpose of grace. It's growth. It's growth. And so I want to ask you this morning, where do you need to work Do the work of growing this year. I would really encourage you just in the next week sometime. Find find 30 minutes, find an hour, and just sit down and take an inventory of your heart. Maybe you haven't done that in a while. Just just to, do you know what an inventory is? That means kind of see what's in there. See what's going on in your life. Just sit down and and just ask God this, this simple prayer. God, show me what I need to be working on. As the psalmist says, search me, O God, and see where I am. Because I think some of us, it's been a while since, maybe you've done that, it's it's been a while since you've really reflected on, where's my heart with God? Where's my heart with my spouse? Where's my heart with my children, with my friend, my co-worker? Where's my heart? And, And have the courage to to be honest, because I think some of us in here, maybe you just haven't done that right, and, and you're not aware, and, and God needs to open up your eyes, but, but some of you, you've, you've seen it, and you're overwhelmed by it, you're terrified of it, you're like, I'm not going to touch that ever. I think what happens is when we come face to face with the work that it requires, it's going to lead us to God's work. Right? This is where Paul goes next, and this is the second point, that our work really leads us to the need for God's work. It's, it's God's work. So number two is God's work. Look at what he says. He continues in verse 13. He, he says, for, right? So this is, this is the, the explanation for what he just says. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, wait a second. I thought Paul just said it's your job to work it out. I thought he just said, you know, get out there and work hard and do what you can to to grow in God. And now you're saying it's God who works? He's actually giving us a very helpful insight to how sanctification works. Somebody say sanctification. Sanctification. And here's here's the insight. It's it's different than justification. Say justification. justification. Some theological terms for you. 
Justification is the idea, follow me for a second, justification is the idea that God, in saving us in Christ, he does all the work. He saves us by his obedience, he saves us by his death, he saves us by his resurrection, and then God, when we put our faith in him, showers on us, he, he declares over us the life of Christ for us, right? It's, it's called the exchange. It's, it's God's life, Jesus' life for our life. And so it's a declaration. It's 100% God's work. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to keep it. It's all God's work. He declares over you what's true about his son is now true about you. That's justification. Sanctification is God's work and our work. Right? So if justification is 100% God's work, sanctification is 100% God's work and 100% your work. In other words, justification is a one-way street. It's God towards you. Sanctification is us together. It's, it's us needing the work of God, but God working in us so that we could work. But notice, both are God's 100% work. It's Him from the beginning to the end. But in sanctification, He invites us in and says, I want you to be a part of this work. Because sanctification is God working in you to, to see you become what he's already declared you to be. Does that make sense? In other words, he declares over you the perfect life, the perfect record of Jesus. But you know you're still a wretch. Just like me. And God is going to then take the rest of your life to form you into what he's already declared to be true. That's how it works. And so how does he do that? Paul says right here, he works in our desires and our abilities. He said he begins to work on, on our, our will and our work, right? So think about it this way. If, if you only have the, the desire to, to grow, but you lack the ability to grow, where does that leave you? Frustrated, angry, you know, unbelieving and giving up, you're despairing because you have a desire to get better, you have a desire to grow in God, but you can't do it. You've tried, you failed, you tried, you failed, you can't do it. But if you also have just the ability to grow, but not the desire, it leaves you lazy, complacent, you put it off. I don't really care about it. I'll get to that later. I know I can change, but I don't really want to change. And so Paul says, God works in both your desire and your ability and brings them together that you might be different, that you might change, right? So, so to be a Christian is, is to have your life invaded by the Holy Spirit, that God comes and takes residence in your heart so that he can change your desires, change your abilities, and make you different. In other words, growth happens when our work meets God's work. That, that's how it happens. So, so a couple years ago when our daughter, our oldest daughter, was, was about one and a half, I think, we, we had swimming lessons with her. And, and I didn't even know, my, my, my wife let me know that, that swimming lessons for a one-year-old was a thing. I didn't even know that. You know, I, I thought you had to be a little bit older to be able to swim. And she said, no, 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 it's, it's kind of like a safety class. So they, they take you to the pool, and they kind of show you how to roll over if you fall in the pool, and, and they, they make sure the parents kind of know how things work, and they, they let them find the, the side of the pool, and all these kind of things. Hold your breath, and it's just real basic stuff, but one of the things they do in swimming lessons at that age, they tell you to take the kid home, and, and at least once during that week, try to find a time to practice some of these things. 
So we go to the pool, and, and I've got Zoe, and I'm, and I'm holding her in the pool, and that week they had been practicing kicking. And, you know, she's one and a half, and she is kicking as hard as she can, but she's not going anywhere. Like, she's just giving all the effort she can, all the, you know, all the energy she can, she can give up. And, and the only way that she's even staying up is because I'm holding her. In other words, the, the, if, if she were to try to kick and, and, and throw her arms around and try to swim all by herself, she would drown. But because I'm holding her, because I'm, I'm lifting her up, she can kick and she begins to move in the water. It's, it's my empowering, my, my holding her up, and it's her working with my hand that makes her move. And th- th- this is what happens when God works in our life, that, that God comes along and he, he empowers us, is what Paul's saying. He, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to lift you up, I'm going to hold you in place so that you have the ability to now then work. Because I'm working in you so that you may work. You catch that? It's God's work in you that enables you to work. And the problem is, some of us, like myself, we, we've been living in unbelief for so long, we don't believe he's working in us anymore. We live under this mask of freedom in the gospel, right? This mask where, where we say, I'm just free. This is who I am. This is how God made me. This is the struggle that I deal with. But really what it is, if you're honest, is you've given, hope. You've given up hope that God could ever work in you again. You're, you're the one-year-old who's, who's tried, and now you're just sinking to the bottom. You've stopped kicking. You've given up. It is what it is. That, that's your motto. It, it is what it is. It's the sound of unbelief. And I'm here to tell you this morning that, that the promise of God right here in Philippians 2 is, is that even if you've given up on you, God never gave up on you. God never stopped holding you. God never stopped carrying you. God never stopped uh, empowering you. He never stopped living inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you to empower you to change, to empower you to be different, to empower you to move forward. But some of us, it's not unbelief, it's pride. Right? You, You don't believe you need to change. You don't believe there's anything... You know, I'm doing all right. I don't have any major issues. I don't know what's going on with all y'all, but I'm doing great. And this is why Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying that to say, you know, you should walk around terrified of God all the time. Right? The Bible says that he didn't give us a spirit of fear. But what the phrase means, it's from the Old Testament. It, it has this sense of you're living before the face of God. In other words, you're you're living as if every moment I am in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of the most holy one, the the most majestic one, the the most mighty one. I'm I'm in the presence of a God who's unlike anyone else. And and if you're in the presence of a God like that, if you see him in his beauty and his majesty and his holiness and his love, and you can't see that and look at yourself and say, I need to be different, then you need to open your eyes. And live before him, face to face with God. Face to face before the one who is holy, who is mighty. And it's only by his grace that we can open our eyes to see that so that we can live by faith. So living by faith means that we work hard, completely dependent on his work. 
completely dependent on His work in us, right? It's work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. Work out your worries, for it is God who works in you. Work out your divisions, for it is God who works in you. Work out your bitterness, for it's God who works in you. Work out your selfishness, for it's God who works in you. It's Him. And so we can walk by faith, knowing there's a God who holds us up, who, who, who in, in, enlivens us to change. It's 100% God, but it's 100% us. And when we live empowered by God's work, we see there's this even greater work going on beyond us. And this is the last point, the greater work. Look at, look at what Paul concludes with in verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Right? Paul is appealing back to the beginning of chapter 2. And if you've read the whole chapter, it's one of the most famous chapters in, in the New Testament. It's, it's this Christ hymn. It's this, this beautiful hymn of what Jesus does in, in lowering himself to come save us. But right before he gives that hymn, he gives this, this admonition to the people of God to, to be unified. Right? To, to be unified around the gospel that humility would, would humble us in our relationships. And so he brings it back up right here. And he says, I want you to do all things without grumbling. In other words, I want you to live unified. I want you to live together. I want you to love one another. And what he's pointing to is that this growth God wants to see in you is not just about you. Right? It's not just about you and your issues but God wants you to grow for the people around you. He wants you to grow for the people right here in this church, right in your house, right in your neighborhood, in your workplace. And then he steps it out even further, and he says it's not just the people in the church. Paul reminds them of this twisted generation. Paul reminds them that there's this watching world that sees your witness for the gospel. Right? He's writing to these people who live in pagan Rome and in, in this Philippi area where, where there's, there's corruption everywhere. There's pagan worship. There's people who are confused. There's a twisted generation that doesn't know their value, doesn't know their identity, doesn't know about grace. And Paul says, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of the confusion, you shine as lights. In the midst of all that's going on that doesn't make sense, in the midst of everyone who's suffering, in the midst of all the foolish sin, you shine as lights. And listen, he uses this terminology of, of, the, of the, the bodies, of you know, the celestial bodies you see in, in space, in the darkness of night, and, and they do two things. Number one, they shine brightly. So that you can see them hundreds of thousands, millions of miles away. But number two, there's influence. The light pushes back the darkness. The light spreads to to push back what's there. And, And so what he's saying is, as you shine brightly, you're there to push back the darkness. It's it's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world, right? Jesus is saying, you you are the salt of the earth. You are the city on the hill. You are the one to push back darkness and be light. So shine brightly. Your growth moves the gospel forward. Your growth moves the gospel forward. Forward. 
you've got to ask yourself, how do we shine? The scientific term is albedo. I learned this this week. Albedo, it, it's a terminology that means uh, where, where a body in space reflects light off of a star, right? So, so an albedo rating means that you, you have a certain amount of reflection of light. In our solar system, you've got uh, the, the highest albedo rating in the, the planet of Venus. And Venus has a .65 rating, which means 65% of the light from our sun reflects off of Venus back. You've got some like, uh, you, you've got some like, what is the other one? The, the moon. Oh, no, no. The, 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 the used to be planet Pluto, right? You got the albedo ranging from 49 to 66, depending on where it is. You've got the moon that's, that's in somewhere in the range of 7%, right? Each of these bodies, they're, they're reflecting light from the sun not produced by themselves. In other words, no matter how big they are, no matter where they are, no matter what's going on, no no matter what's happening, they don't produce their own light. They only reflect it. They have no glory of their own. They only reflect a greater glory. In other words, you, you, just like them, cannot produce light. You only reflect God's light. You reflect a greater glory. You reflect a greater glory of a greater light who came from heaven to earth for you. Jesus Christ, Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Who said, I see you in your darkness. I see you in your sin. And I am coming to shine in the darkness. Who said, I'm coming to shine in my love for the least of these. I'm coming to shine for those who are brokenhearted. I'm coming to shine for those who are lost and confused. I'm I'm coming to shine in the midst of darkness. But the darkness is so great that the only way to dispel it is through death itself. That I might die in the love of the cross. And Jesus, with, with a crown of thorns on his head, with bruises in his side, with stripes on his back, dies in darkness until his very last breath. He's shining. It is finished. And the Bible says darkness covers the earth for hours. But in three days, he got up. He got up and he shines brightly. He got got up and he shines in the radiance of his glory. He got up and he lives forever in power and majesty because he's the light of the world. He rose in victory over dark and darkness. So this great light of the gospel, listen to me, enables us to say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, it's looking to Him. It's looking to the greater glory. It's looking to the one who's beyond us, who's greater than us. It's looking to him who makes us shine. It's looking to him that transforms our hearts. It's looking to him that gives us the victory over sin. It's looking to him that gets us free from our bondage. It's looking to him that gives us hope for a new day, that renews our soul. It's looking to him. And when we look to him, he changes us that we might change the world. You're the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. You're the light of the world. You shine brightly. 
so that your growth matters at your job. Your growth pushes back the darkness in your family. Your growth pushes back the darkness in our education system. Your growth pushes back the darkness at the hospital. Your growth pushes back the darkness with your family and your children. Your growth pushes back darkness because there's a greater glory reflecting in your life. God wants to work through you. Are you all in to grow this year? That's what he's asking us. Are you all in to grow this year? Because God wants to work through you, but he has to work in you first. In order for you to reflect the light of his glory, he has to shine on you. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and, and in your life, you're, you're, you're stuck in unbelief. You're stuck in unbelief that God could ever care about you. You're like, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's been for as long as I can remember, and, and I just don't see God working in me. I want to encourage you this morning. He's still working. Even if you can't see it. We just sung it. Even if you can't see it, he's still working. Even if you can't feel it, he's still working. He never stops. He never gives up. He's working. Maybe you're here this morning and and you say, I I really don't need anything. I I don't need him to work on me. I'm praying that God would open your eyes to see the beauty of who he is and the beauty of who he wants you to be. That his, his vision for your life is that you would look like the radiant sun who reigns in heaven. That's his vision for your life. You may not believe it. You may not be about it. But he's all about it. He's all in to see you grow. And all of us, no matter where you're at this morning, what what we need is that we need repentance. Repentance simply means that you run to the Father who's waiting. It means you, you stop going in one direction that you were going, and now you go towards him. And you say, Father, I I can't work by myself, I'll drown. I don't have the ability. I I don't even have the desire. But if you're working in me to change my desires, to change my ability, there's hope. There's hope. Let's pray.